Hey, I'm Nicole Ferraro, a contributing editor at Light Reading. Welcome to What's the Story, a short podcast where we take a step back from the most significant topics in telecom to tell you the latest news, how we got here, what it all means, and what to expect next. Today on the show, we're talking with Light Reading's Jeff Baumgartner about the state of satellite broadband. Jeff has been keeping us up to date on the much-talked-about Starlink satellite service from SpaceX, as well as other satellite competitors in the field like HughesNet and Viasat. He's here today to talk more about the differences between these players, recent developments in the satellite broadband space and why they matter, and what's likely to happen next. Okay, Jeff, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Nicole. Glad to be here with you virtually. (laughs) Yes, it's great to Mm -hmm. be with you virtually again. Mm -hmm. Um, So to start off, let's uh, tell me a bit about who the main players are in the satellite broadband space. And are there any notable differences between them and how they're delivering service? Yeah, so uh, I thought, you know, I, I would kind of look at it from like a residential standpoint, you know, residential broadband. And, you know, right now, the two primary ones, at least for North America in service today, are uh, Viasat and HughesNet, um, you know, which currently rely on geosynchronous satellites that are orbiting, you know, some 20,000 miles above the Earth, you know. And then we've got uh, Starlink, you know, we're all keeping an eye on that, you know, the low Earth orbit powered uh, service from uh, SpaceX, you know, that's nearing commercial launch. And then uh, another one, OneWeb, um, is another entity that's been focused on uh, LEO satellites, and it's kind of being resurrected uh, as it gets acquired out of bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, as for Viasat and Hughes, uh, you know, I think they do okay with respect to the uh, the more rural markets they serve. You know, they, they do, they deliver pretty decent downstream speeds, uh, but, you know, there's a big trade-off with latency you know, which impacts people who are doing online games or trying to do video conferencing, and they have some pretty strict uh, data usage rules and policies. Um, you know, I was taking a look as, you know, the quarter just ended. So, you know, subscriber-wise, you know, they are blowing the doors off, but, you know, they've they kind of been fairly steady. You know, uh, Viasat added like 5,000 broadband customers in the last quarter, and I think they had like 603,000. Um, you know, they also serve um, airlines, but uh, of course, that part of the business is getting hurt, you know, by the pandemic. And, and uh, you know, Hughes, uh, you know, Echo Star, which owns Hughes, put out their report. They had like 38,000 that they added in Q3. So they have like 1.58 million right now uh, broadband customers and, you know, 364 out in Latin America. Um, and the bulk of their, their, their broadband service does come from consumers. Um, you know, I think it's like 70 some odd percent uh, versus enterprise. Um, now, curiously enough, they're both, even though they're kind of geo-focused, um, you know, they've both, both Viasat and Hughes have been exploring uh, like the Leo opportunities. Um, you know, Hughes, you know, we talked about OneWeb, or I did. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> They uh, they joined a consortium uh, that's buying OneWeb out of uh, bankruptcy, you know, and that deal is supposed to be done by the end of the year. So uh, so OneWeb, you know, like I said, is building a Leo system. So Hughes is kind of viewing that as uh, complementary to what they're doing with the geo 
stuff. And then uh, Viasat's also looking at Leo systems and as a way to pursue some opportunities kind of in the, the rural uh, digital opportunity fund. Um, you know, so, but I think their approach is going to be different. Um, instead of like deploying thousands of satellites, you know, like Starlink is doing with its LEO approach, I think Viasat's considering something that uh, is still low Earth orbit, but they're, they're going to use like bigger, more powerful satellites, you know, so they can do a lot fewer of them and, and not be as worried about uh, collisions and debris and all these other things that are having to uh, becoming part of the discussion <laughs> right now. Um, and then, you know, another company, you know, I'm kind of looking at or keeping an eye on is SES. They have, uh, they also do geo satellites, but they have, they're also building up this uh, medium earth orbit satellite fleet. So, but instead of going direct to consumer with broadband, um, I think they're, they're more focused on uh, like data services for the enterprise market. So they would serve government aviation cruise liners, you know, those sorts of things. And, um, you know, just to wrap up a little bit on, you know, what else is going on, you know, I did mention Starlink, you know, that's getting a lot of hype and buzz, you know, it's very interesting. Um, and we're still awaiting, you know, just, you know, the cachet, you know, of it with Elon Musk's involvement. Um, you know, so we're still, we're still awaiting the pricing and the packaging for that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but in the meantime, there was a study uh, from UCLA and PC Mag, uh, based you know with the the initial group of uh, beta, early beta users, and you know I think they were averaging like that was seventy nine megabits per second down and mm -hmm. almost fourteen meg up. So, and the latency average was like forty two milliseconds. You know, and that compares to like six hundred milliseconds or more that you see with views uh, in Viasat. So. Mm -hmm. You know, not a bad start, but, um, you know, the, the initial performance metrics of, you know, Starlink, again, just tie into a, a beta test with a fairly small number of users. So I think everyone's curious to see how uh, Starlink performs as it gets um, more users loaded onto the system. And, you know, we can kind of see then, you know, if this kind of uh, offering can truly scale. So I know you're talking to a lot of the players in this space, and I know that Elon Musk has expressed that he sees Starlink mostly as a solution for rural communities and disaster zones. So based on what you're hearing, what role do you see satellite broadband playing in addressing the digital divide? What are the pitfalls with these services so far? And what impact will satellite have on the industry at large in the near future, let's say? Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't think that the... Um the cable and telco guys have a lot to worry about, you know, at least in the markets where they have a stranglehold with, with a solid broadband service, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll be wary of them and stuff, but um, I do think that, um, or at least not completely dismissive, but I do think that satellite broadband has the potential, you know, obviously to play a bigger role in bringing service to unserved areas or underserved areas that maybe only have access to a really poor performing uh, DSL service, um, you know, and they also get the benefit of, you know, providing broad coverage, um, at least on the geo side, you know, the Leos, they have to uh, deploy a bunch to get that coverage, uh, but they'll, but they'll get there. And, um, but, you know, one of the, you know, you were wondering about pitfalls, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the issues is the expense um, to the user, you know, since you do have some pricey equipment just to receive 
uh, the service. And, you know, it's still early, but, you know, for the beta offer, you know, if that's any indication from uh, Starlink, you know, it's not going to be super duper cheap. You know, I think the beta price is like $99 a month. And then you have uh, hundreds of dollars. You know, I think it was around 400 or something for the dish and the, the home router. So that's not, you know, nothing. Um, and, and, you know, the, I was just kind of getting ready for this. I, I, I checked in on what uh, Pradman Call, who's the president of, um, and CEO of Hughes, uh, and he kind of on the last earnings call, and he kind of clapped back a little bit on the uh, on on that call, noting that he thinks that Hughes has this advantage um, over Starlink because it charges between you know zero and a hundred dollars in upfront mm-hmm. costs, and then the base service is like sixty dollars a month. So price comparison, you know, they think that they have an advantage, but again, we'll have to see what Starlink does um, when it comes out, and. Um, you know, while the, the speeds of these services uh, appear to be capable of doing uh, the job for a lot of use cases, uh, at least in the downstream direction, uh, the other pitfall, uh, you know, could be the data restrictions. You know, as I mentioned, you know, Hughes and Viasat are pretty strict in this regard when you compare that with uh, what you get from like cable or fiber, you know, and, and meanwhile, like, you know, we're still try to see what Starlink's going to do when it launches. Um, you know, I think an uncapped service, you know, would be pretty warmly received um, by the market and at least put some pressure on uh, Biasat and Hughes to maybe do some, something the same or at least maybe loosen it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are the big things you're going to be paying attention to with regard to these companies and the state of satellite broadband and the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund that you mentioned? Um, just what are you going to be keeping your eye on in the next few months? I'm interested to see if any of these uh, satellite players get a, uh, a slice of the billions that are kind of being allocated mm-hmm. uh, to that. Um, I imagine, you know, they're, they're going to get a... Uh, a small piece, you know, I think the bulk of it's going to go to fiber build outs and, and probably fixed wireless mm-hmm. solutions, um, you know, uh, but um, so we'll see how that kind of comes together. Uh, you know, the other thing I'm going to kind of be keeping a, an eye on, you know, here in the next few months, you know, particularly when, when Starlink gets going is yeah. really curious to see how the, um, the latency point, you know, they're trying to make uh, kind of how that's going to play out and how that's going to maybe move the needle yeah. with subscribers, you know, because um, yeah, they're kind of pinning a lot of the differentiation on, on the latency side. And, and uh, you know, as you might imagine, both Viasat and Hughes have sort of shrugged it off, you know, uh, it's like, which you would expect. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm a competitor and, you know, I'm not going to say, well, geez, we're in big trouble here. But right, right. Uh, now, I was listening to, you know, Viasat's executive chairman, Mark Dankberg, he did talk about a little bit because, you know, they both, both of them got asked on the earnings call and Mark Dankberg kind of likened it low latency to kind of a sweetener rather than a core thing. And mm-hmm. he, think, he still thinks it's important, but not like a decisive factor when a, when a consumer is making a buying decision. And then uh, Hughes, the CEO, has also addressed it on their call and he, he also downplayed the importance of latency, you know, he, he said it's quote unquote not a major deal, at least for Hughes, because he said 70% to 80% of their traffic is video, which, as he said, is very insensitive to latency. Um, 
but you know the the on the other when you kind of dig in deeper though uh or you know he then he did talk a little bit about geosystems providing lower costs per bit and higher density and lower costs per terminal ultimately um yeah but on the other hand Hughes is investing in one web <laughs> so uh, it certainly does sound like he's not completely obviously not completely sold on leo systems um uh, just kind of looks at it as like complimentary. So um, that also reflects what the uh, the SES CEO told me a few months ago, you know, just that in the end, uh, there won't be like a one size fits all uh, or at least a one orbit fits all solution, you know, but rather, uh, you know, multi-orbit strategies is really what's going to uh, take place, you know. So we'll see, uh, you know, SES and, and Viasat and Hughes are all looking at multi-orbit and, and Starlink's kind of LEO focused. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how that shakes out. And I think everyone's kind of keeping an eye on on Starlink and, you know, how how successful they're going to they're gonna be, you know, yeah. beyond when the hype, you know, kind of wears off a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Do we know when they're launching officially? They haven't announced. Um like an exact date, I don't think. And I think the latest thing was they were expanding the uh, uh, the beta trial to a mm-hmm. few more thousand uh, people, you know? So it sounds like they're definitely nearing it and kind of banging on the system a little bit more just to see how it uh, it does under a bigger load. All right, well, a lot to pay attention to. Thank you so much for your time and, and breaking this down for us, Jeff. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Thank you so much, Jeff Baumgartner, for your time today. Thank you to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review, share this episode with a colleague or friend, and subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more interviews and insights from the team. That's the story for now. We'll see you next time.